Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. Today, we have with us a man who is a true dyed-in-the-wool hustler uh, and just by virtue of that and, uh, you know, rolled-up sleeves uh, fits the street-smart success uh, identity to a T, which is why I've been excited to talk to this guy. Uh, he is the founder of Master Passive Income. He is Dustin Heiner. Dustin, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hey Roger, thank you so much for having me on the show. I love I love the premise and the title of your show, uh, being street smart. And so uh, I, I love inve- investing in real estate. I love being a real estate investor because it really it's what it affords me to do in my life. I literally don't work a job. In fact, I like the term successfully unemployed. I found a way to make money for myself and my family without working that dead end job or that just overbroke job. But then I, you know, hang, have fun all day, hang out with my family, go to the gym, and talk to great people like you on awesome podcasts. So I appreciate you having me on the show. You, you got it. So, so Dustin, I know that you are in Phoenix, uh, which is absolutely booming. But we talked a little bit uh, before hitting record. I know you're not from Arizona originally. Why don't you tell me, the audience, a little bit about your background, where you're from, and you know what were the formative years? Oh, totally. So, well, I'll quickly fast forward to the end. So when I was 37 years old, I was blessed to be able to quit my job because I had enough rental properties coming in. But I started living in, when I was living in California is when I started buying real estate. And I was living in Fresno, California and working. It was 2006. And I realized I couldn't buy real estate in California because it was so expensive and the rents weren't high enough to, in order to make money. So I started investing out of state, started investing out of state. And, but uh, yeah, so 37 years old, blessed to be able to quit my job. And uh, start from there, just started buying more and more properties out of state because it was the prices were better, rents were higher. I was making more money in passive income from every single property. But yeah, that's how I really got. I guess the the, the process of getting started was going out of state because it was just too expensive in California. Got it. And so, what what markets? Ohio, Texas, and Arizona currently. I see. Where in Ohio? I, I started in Youngstown, which is a really rough area, so it's not the best area to start. Um, then Akron and Cleveland. Dude, those that, that that's my uh, neck of the woods, man. The, the, that that oh, there you go. Northeast Ohio. I'm from Cleveland. There we go. Northeast Ohio. Absolutely. Yeah. My goodness gracious. Wow. That is that is cool. Well, so so what? How did you wind up into uh, doing real estate? Oh yeah. So it's actually an interesting story, and the reason why I say that is because. I was following the path, just like the the path that we're all taught. We're all taught the same path. You go to school, you get good grades. Then you take those good grades, you go to college or university and you get more good grades, hopefully, and you get in thousands and thousands of dollars into debt. And then you get a piece of paper called a degree and you go around to different companies and you try to hopefully get a career there and then work 40, 50 years of your life and then hopefully retire at 70 years old or older 
and live on what you managed to save that entire time you're working that just overbroke job. Well, I'm doing that exact same thing. And, but at the same time, I've always been entrepreneurial. You know, the idea of starting businesses. And uh, in fact, I had a lot of people nowadays don't know what these are, but I had a newspaper route. I would ride around on the bike at 5 a.m. and throw newspapers, banging them on garage doors, waking people up. Um, I had a graphic website design company, skateboard manufacturing business, a pizzeria and a convenience store, all from the ground up. I started these because I love business. But at the same time, following that same career path that we're all told. And so I started working for local county government in California. And this is the most stable, secure job I could ever think of. It's California. That's not going anywhere. Government, that's definitely not going anywhere. And technology, obviously not going anywhere. So I'm working to sit down nine to five desk job. And at the same time, I bought one rental property. Now, what was amazing was this one rental property. I remember it as plain as day. It made me, in one month, I got a check from my property manager for $317. All the expenses paid for, that was cash flow. I said, my goodness, that's a lot of money. I need to become an investor. I need to just be full force an investor. But you know, Roger, how if with everybody, life starts getting in the way. And my wife and I started having children and we had one, two, three, and four children. But here, this is what really shoved me or catapulted me into real estate investing. So we had our fourth child and my wife, after giving birth, I went on paternity leave. That's where the dad stays home with the mom, changes poopy diapers and bonds with the baby and all that good stuff. <laughs> and so I go off out of work and then I come back to work. And in that same week that I get back to work, I get a call from my boss's 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 secretary, like the top dog, get a call at Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon saying, Dustin, would you please come to the office? And I said, sure. And I hung up the phone and I paused for a second. I thought, why in the world are they calling me the office? Like, this isn't normal. And I've seen plenty of movies. Friday at 3.30 in the afternoon is not a good sign. And I started think, remembering a couple months before I went on paternity leave, there were some rumors or some rumbling going on. There could potentially be layoffs in the county. And I immediately shook it off. I said, there's no way, there's no way that's possible. I have great seniority. My boss is thinking to do a great job. So I shook it off. So I get up and I start walking down the hallway to my boss's office. Now, Roger, this hallway isn't very long. In fact, it's kind of short, but every single step I took, it felt like the hallway got longer and longer and longer. And it felt like my feet became lead bricks because the weight of potentially losing my job was starting to wane down on me. Well, I pass down the hallway, I turn the corner and I see my boss's door. His door is closed and I see a secretary there. Super sweet, nice old lady. And she says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's trying to like sheepishly grinning at me, trying to console me with her eyes because she knows everything about what's going on. I know nothing about what's going on. So I go and I take a seat and I start thinking about my life. This entire plan that we're all taught to work our entire life and eventually retire when we're 70 years old. If I lose my job right now, does that, did I just waste my life doing that? And then I realized, oh my goodness, if I lose my job, how am I going to feed my family? We just had our fourth child. She's literally like three weeks old. So right then and there, I started thinking, does that make me, if I can't feed my family, does that make me a failure as a husband? Does that make me a failure as a father trying to provide for his family? Well, as I'm sitting there, my hands get all clammy. My forehead gets all sweaty because the nerves is just crushing down on me. Well, the door to my boss's office opens up and out walks a lady, a coworker of mine with a piece of paper in her hands. She is noticeably distraught, noticeably upset. She's not necessarily crying, but you could tell her world has been rocked. She passes by me and my boss says, Dustin, would you please come to the office? 
So I get up and I go into the office and I get laid off. And remember, this is the government. Nobody gets fired or laid off from the government, but I did. The reason why I tell the story is so hopefully you learn from my mistakes. Well, I take that layoff notice and walk back to my desk and I sit down and I realize two things sitting there at the desk. The first thing I realize is I need to get another job. I need to get another job so I could be able to provide for my family. So I was really, really blessed, praise the Lord, to find another job in the same county. A whole different department wasn't having the same money issues. So check, got that. The second thing, sitting in that chair, just getting laid off that I realized is that I need to make sure that this never, ever happens to me again. I need to make sure that nobody has the ability to take away my ability to feed my family. And I knew I needed to be an investor, but life got in the way. Right then and there, I said, there's no way I would ever let life get in the way. From now on, when everybody would ask me the question, what do you do? We all get that question. They say, Dustin, what do you do? I would reply, I work for the county. I do technology for the county. And I'm basically projecting the value that I put on myself as coming from my job. No, my value doesn't come from my job. My value comes from myself and from my God and from my family. So right then and there, I told myself, anytime I get that question or anybody I talk to, I'm going to tell them I am an investor. It may so happen that 100% of my money comes from my job. That's now my part-time job. I am a full-time investor. So fast forward the story, started buying property after property after property, each one making me a minimum of $250 a month in passive income. Eventually, I had 30 plus properties and I realized, even though I'm making $75,000 a year at this job, I'm losing money at this job. So last part of the story, I went to my new boss, great boss and all. I said, here's your two weeks notice. Like I'm laying you off. And you know, we joked and laughed and everything. And he said, well, Dustin, what are you going to do? I said, I don't have to do anything. I own real estate. It literally makes money for me while I'm sleeping. So I don't have to do anything. And the last quick part of the story is, if you remember that hallway that was short, but it got longer and longer and longer. My feet became like lead bricks. Well, I walked to and from my job a mile and a half every single day. It was downtown. I didn't want to pay for parking. I'm too frugal for that. But I've taken this walk a thousand times. I felt like I was walking on clouds because I knew I would never, ever need a job again because I'm now getting paid for the value that I personally bring. Because everybody listening to this, you need to realize that your boss is not paying you what you're worth. In fact, nobody will ever pay you what you're worth. You're worth so much more than anybody can ever pay you. And this is how you'll know. Your boss is paying you just enough to keep you working without quitting, but not so much that keeps, that takes money out of their pocket. If they did pay you what you're worth, you'd probably go broke. So that's what we do is we try to be, if you're street smart, you're going to try to figure out, take yourself out of this big machine that they want to keep pumping in. You work an hour, get paid for that hour, get yourself out of that, become street smart. And when you do that, you actually get paid for the value that you bring. So I'll pause the story because you probably got plenty of questions. (laughs) No problem. Okay. Well, so, you know, you're, you're, you said you're in Texas, Arizona, Ohio. And so, you know, when, when you were at that point where, you know, you're making 250 a month per house in, in cash flow, where were all those houses? Were those houses in spread out in those three markets, even at that time? Or, or, or those, or do you still have those homes? And yeah, that's the question. Yeah. So I literally never sell properties because When I buy a property, at the minimum, it makes me $250 a month in passive income. I don't buy the property unless that I'm making that money in passive income because that's how I'm going to feed my family. I don't don't invest for appreciation. I will literally give these properties to my kids. So with that, I don't buy a house unless it makes me $250 a month in passive income. From there, now, my properties in Ohio, Texas, and Arizona, that's the minimum. And so I started investing back in 2006 before the crash. And what's great, even when the crash happened, I still made money. So if the market goes up, if the market goes down or the market goes sideways, 
I make money because I make sure that I buy, a, I, I build a business and I buy a piece of property that's going to make me money every single month. Now I have some properties making me five, six, seven, even $1,000 a month in passive income because when you build the business and you have the business run itself, then it becomes an automatic business because you have other people, experts doing the work for you. So yes, now all these properties I buy, that's the minimum. But then over time, rents just absolutely go up. And so you continually make more and more money in passive income. You get more in equity. Let's say the value goes up, refinance it, pull the cash back up to buy more properties and get yourself even more wealthy. Okay. What you said, the markets in Ohio, what are the markets in uh, Texas and Arizona? Houston and Phoenix. So Houston and Texas. And Phoenix, Arizona, the the greater, you know, all over. Phoenix is actually pretty big, just like Houston. Okay. And then what is the average in, in, in it's probably different per market, um, but what's the average you're paying for a house and how much, what percent do you have to put down to break even or to make 250 a month? Got it. So you'll definitely know that Northeast Ohio is much cheaper than like say Phoenix or Houston. So in, in um, uh, Northeast Ohio is probably getting 60,000, 70,000 give or take. But remember, I'm an investor, so I don't pay market value. I'll talk about Phoenix and, and Houston in just a second, but I don't pay market value for properties. In fact, I don't pay above. It, it's homeowners that they go above and they pay more than market value. No, I'm an investor. So I make money when I buy the property. It's called capturing equity. So I buy it for less than it's worth, hopefully 10, 15, 20% less than it's worth. And even in a seller's market, like we had in 2021, 22, we, my students and myself, we were still buying homes all over the Midwest. You see like Ohio, down in Indiana, down in the Carolinas and Florida, great areas, lower priced homes that you still have decent amount of rents. And so usually now I'm blessed to have enough cash where I can buy those, let's say, $60,000, $80,000 homes, buy them cash, and then literally have cash flow. Now, the ones in um, Houston, anywhere from $150,000 to $200,000, I don't want to get to like the, the $400,000 and $500,000, because if you got a loan on one of those, that's a big mortgage that if the tenant moves out, you're going to have to swing that big mortgage. So um, same thing in Arizona, probably around $150,000 to $250,000 is what I shoot, uh, $250,000 what I shoot for, but the minimum is $250 a month in passive income. Now people might be saying, well, Dustin, how do you get $250 a month in passive income because of the rents and how expensive interest rates going up and all that sort of stuff? Well, the key is the value of a home for me as an investor is not comparable sales. You talk to a realtor, hey, realtor, how much is this house worth? They'll look at what other homes like that sell for in the area. That's what they value as the comparable sales. Me, no. I value it as how much money can it make me in passive income? And if it doesn't make me money in passive income, well, it's, it's they're asking too much. I need to lower my offer until I make $250 a month in passive income. And so when I do, and the reason why I'm able to do this is because I built a business that I know for without a shadow of a doubt that I'm gonna be making money. Just like if you had a convenience store and you bought candy bars, let's say you have one candy bar, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, you can sell it for a dollar all day, every day. And it costs you 50 cents to buy it. Well, you would love to do that. You'd buy 50 cents and sell it all day. You'd be making a lot of money. But that's the beautiful thing about real estate. Let's say you don't even have the 50 cents and it costs you 25 cents to borrow that 50 cents. Well, that's 75 cents out of your pocket. You sell it for a dollar. You're still making 25 cents every single time with none of your money. Same thing with real estate investing. We utilize other people's money lenders and, and private money lenders and commercial loans, bundle loans, all this sort of stuff. 
with that, we make sure we make money in passive income every single time. Does that make sense? Sure. So, so in in Houston and Phoenix, then, uh, and I don't know if this is you or if it's also your students, both are. So you you are getting financing. You're not you're not putting all cash down. Correct. Okay. And the big reason why I'm able to do that too, like I said is I build a business so that I know I'm going to make money. And so the cost of financing, I just put that into my business model. To give you an example, or this is a little more big picture too. And you'll definitely understand this, Roger. So I don't pay my mortgage on any of my properties. I don't pay my taxes. I don't pay for repairs. I don't pay for property manager. I don't pay for insurance. I don't pay any of that stuff. I don't even pay for my property manager. My tenants pay all of that. In fact, I don't buy a property unless all of that is accounted for in the expenses and I make $250 a month more in rent. Now, it so happens the money comes into me and I pay it out to the bills, but because I built a business that now runs itself, that has experts running the business and all the expenses are accounted for, my income is accounted for, that is how I'm able to make this business be automatic because I have experts running it but I'm also automatically making money because I don't buy a property unless I'm making money every single month. Does that make sense? Sure. Did When did you quit that job? It was 2017. Okay, congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and you know what's funny too, Roger? I personally... I started investing back in 2006 and I went, I was watching late night TV and it was, I didn't know anything about real estate and I was watching late night TV. One of those infomercials came on and they said, Hey, we, we're going to teach you about real estate. We're a free two hour seminar. We're coming to your town and it's coming. And I was like, okay, that's so excited. So I went to that free two hour seminar and it was horrible. It was literally all a sales pitch for a two-day seminar. And they said, it's normally $15,000, but it's $1,000 a day. Run to the back and go sign up, which I did. I ran to the back. I was so excited, signed up. And then I went to that two-day seminar. That was another sales pitch for an $80,000 course, $100,000 course. It was horrible. But what I did was I took what they what they basically mentioned. They said, even though it was a sales pitch, they gave us a little bit of insights. And this is what the quote-unquote gurus tell you. I followed this, this path, they said. And my property manager started stealing from me with six months. It's horrible. But then I figure out the right way. So let me quickly tell your audience, everybody listening, I want to share with you the wrong way, but you'll quickly forget it because I'll give you the right way to invest in real estate to make it automatic. This is what the quote unquote gurus will tell you. They'll say, find a property anywhere in the country, and then you run the numbers. Basically, find your expenses, make sure your income's more. They say $25 or $50 a month in passive income, but you'll invest for appreciation. And remember, this was 2006. Everybody wanted appreciation, but I'm blessed now. I don't ever invest for appreciation because I'll give these properties to my kids. If you invest for appreciation, you can get really burned, which a lot of people in 2008 did. So with that, then you spend thousands of dollars to buy the property. Then you spend thousands of dollars to fix up the property. And then you find a tenant and then you find a property manager. Well, in my opinion, that's just about backwards. I did that and my property manager started stealing from me with six months because I didn't know what I was doing. But Roger, if I would have hung my head and said, oh, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, I would not be here today being able to talk to you about this. I, I thought, I said to myself, this does work. Other people have done it in the past. Let me approach this from a business mindset. Remember, I've always said I've been entrepreneurial. So I approached this from a business mindset. I said, what if I hired the people before I bought the property? And give me give you an example of what building the business first. And this is what I'll say this over and over again. We build the business first. And imagine if you had a convenience store 
you're not going to sign a lease on a location, open the doors and set a box of candy bars in there on the ground to run a business. No, you go out of business in two seconds. What you would do though, is you would build the business first. You get the gondolas, those are shelving units that all the candy bars go on, the countertops, the cold storage, bank accounts, cash registers, insurance, employees, everything in the business before you buy any inventory. What we do is we build the entire real estate investing business and then we buy a piece of property and that property is our inventory. That's how we're able to then put it into our business and scale our business to be able to grow so much faster because we have experts on the ground who are doing the work for us. So just imagine you built that convenience store and you grab somebody across the street and said, hey, would you come in? You got a pulse. Come in and manage my property. Uh, can't manage the inventory, manage my customers, manage my business, manage my money. You wouldn't do that. You would hire them slowly. You would interview them. You'd interview many people. Same thing with real estate investing. We build the entire business first. And with building that business, we then hire the experts. Those experts are the ones that live there on the grounds, anywhere in the country. We invest out of state. I love investing out of state. But that's how we can invest anywhere in the country, never fly there, never visit there. In fact, I never go anywhere that I invest now. I just hire the people there. But they're the experts because they know that area. And an expert would be somebody that would say, well, okay, you're looking at this property. I know that area. In fact, we tried to get a house that's maybe, you know, a block away. Zillow said it was $1,400 a month in rent. We couldn't get 14 It's $1,300. Well, that's expert information that you need to know so you can run your business well. So that's what I do investing at Phoenix and Houston, Arizona, um, um, and, and Ohio, anywhere, is we build the business so that we have the experts running the business for us. Does that all make sense? Yeah. What do you like uh, specifically about Houston? What are the attributes that, that make that one of the markets for you? It's the cash flow that I really like about, about Houston. Because, well, as of late, the prices have gone up. But overall, it's a very large area, lots of inventory. And so when I say inventory, think of like a business. I want to buy homes that have the the characteristics that people either want to rent or buy. My cookie cutter type home is three bedroom, two bath, 1,200 to 1,700 square feet. Not too small. The families don't want to live there. Not too large. That is extra walls to paint and light switches to fix and floors to, to, to cover. And so I like Houston because the prices are relatively lower. Ta the taxes aren't that, they're, they're a little higher. They're actually higher in general, but your rents make up for that and the rents are higher overall. So I like Houston because there's a lot of inventory and a lot of people. Here's the biggest thing. Uh, people are going to, they've asked me back in 2006 and even now, if there's a recession and if there's economy goes bad and people start losing their jobs, won't that lower rents? Like once your rent amount goes down, you're like, well, think about it for a second. If people lose their jobs and their economy goes bad, they lose their jobs. Sadly, and we saw this back in 2008, a lot of people will lose their homes that they are purchasing. Their homeowners try to buy it. They're going to get foreclosed on, but they have to live somewhere. We want a place that they're going to want to move into and rent. They're going to obviously give them good rent, good price, and give them a good place. But everybody has to live somewhere. So what happens? The demand skyrockets in a recession for our rental properties. So Houston has a big lot of inventory and a lot of potential tenants. Hmm. How, how, how long do your average tenants stay? Oh, so here's a, here's a tip that I like to tell all my students. So I... In renting a property, there's a low, a high, and a middle rent range. You know, like a low amount, a higher rent amount, and a middle rent amount. Now, when the area is, I'll give you an example, like Northeast Ohio, 
you're, if you want to keep people, tenants in there for a longer period of time, you should rent it at the lower range if possible. Let's say, you know, it's, it's either $800 low, um, $1,000 high, $900 in the middle. Well, if you're renting it for $850, your tenants are going to be like, man, I'm getting a good deal. I'm going to stay in there for a long time. Now, Houston is a little different where you can rent it in the middle. Let's say it's, you know, normally $2,400 uh, for the high $2,000 for the low and 22 in the middle. You could rent it for 22 and keep them in there. So I personally love, I, well, I hate turnover. That's where tenants move out, fix it up and get it rented and all that sort of stuff. But I would say in Ohio, honestly, it's like three to four years because I keep them just like right at the low to the mid. So they, they're they glad that they're there. I keep them to be good properties. And so actually what my Houston, uh, one of my specific properties I'm thinking of right now in Houston, they've been in there literally six years. And it's because I keep, when I buy the property, I make sure I'm making money and passive income. And then every little bit of rent increase, it helps me out more because I'm making more money, but it's also not going to really hurt them. Like one of the one I'm thinking of specifically, I'm charging 1800, but it can go for like 2200, but they've been in there for six years. So I'm slowly, gradually getting it up. I love keeping them long-term. They're basically paying off my mortgage, paying me passive income and taking care of the property and all that good stuff. I see. And then how are these sourced? Are these just, you know, basically on the market and you just hold your ground and, and just, you know, kind of figure out what it takes to make the 250, what the kind of uh, reverse engineer it, figure out this is the price I need to pay and, and just they either accept the offer or they don't or how, how, how do you find the deals? So, yeah, so sourcing in the finding, I literally have wholesalers, realtors, um, investors, property managers, title companies, everybody knows that I'm an investor. And remember, like I said, from the very beginning, I started telling everybody that I'm an investor. Well, in doing that, people know me as an investor. And if they have a property, like, like I get title companies saying, hey, this property fell through. They're looking for a buyer. Would you be interested? Absolutely. So as far as getting sourcing the deals, of course, the MLS, realtors, I love, personally love wholesalers. If you're a wholesaler, you're my best friend. You guys work really, really hard. Um, other investors. But I find everybody that is willing to potentially sell a house, I let them know an investor and they send me deals. So I love waking up in the morning, drinking my coffee, looking at my emails, seeing all the lists from the MLS, from realtors to wholesalers, sending me a list of properties that I just look at and analyze. So from there, finding them, it's not hard. In fact, I don't do the finding. Other people find them, they send to me. I don't mind paying them money for them doing the hard work finding it. From there, I run all the numbers to make sure that I'm going to be making money passive income. And that dictates the offer amount, the top dollar. Like what I tell all my coaching students, we need to know our top dollar, how much we, we can afford to buy it for, but then how much we can also need in order to fix up the property. And we don't go above that. It may so happen that nobody, like the, these people that we put offers in on, they're pretty low or lower than, than market value. Let's say 20% lower than market value. They might say no, but what if they say yes? I have literally students that all the time get properties that are 20% below market value because we put in offers. We have no idea what their cost basis is for the house. We have no idea if they just got a divorce and they just want to stick it to their spouse and they just want to sell it. We have no idea. But what we do is we put in the offer. And if they want it, we're not twisting their arm, making them sell it. No, we're just putting in the offer. If they want to take it, they take it. And honestly, the more offers you put in, the more likelihood you're going to get a good property that captures equity. In terms of the financing piece, you said some, you know, that hard money is a source. And I know that, you know, hard, hard money could be expensive. So what does the debt piece of it like look like 
in common scenarios. So are they putting any of their own money down or and in a hard money situation is, is it all, you know, is, is let's say they buy a home for 150 grand, is it 150 grand in hard money or is there another source? And because, um, yeah, obviously the higher the cost of the money, the harder it is to, you know, generate that profit. So what does that piece of it look like, Dustin? Yeah, I totally love creative financing. And so I just like having lots of different people, other investors, other ways to get deals sent to me, like finding and sourcing the deals. I have lots of ways that people send me deals. Same thing with financing. I have lots of different ways to get financing. Hard money's one. Private money is another. If you had cash, obviously, if you have a conventional loan, commercial loan, bundle loans, uh, even signature loans. You go into a bank and say, can I get an unsecured line of credit? And say, like, yeah, here you go. And you sign your name. It's going to be a little expensive, but you, you you account for that in your business. Just like I said with that candy bar analogy, if it costs you 25 cents, but you're going to make 25 cents, does it matter that it costs 25 cents? Um, I've even used a credit card to buy properties. That's definitely an advanced strategy. I knew my business, so I knew I was going to make money, which worked out perfectly. Now, all of these ways are, think of them like tools in your tool belt. All these creative ways to do financing from hard money all the way down to credit cards. These are all tools in your tool belt. We just take whatever deal comes our way. We don't say, I'm only going to buy it with this way. Well, you, you can, but your options, your options open up when you have tools that you can fit into whatever problem. If you're an investor, you're a problem solver. We have a problem where maybe you can't get financing. Well, we figure out how to solve that problem. So in also, let me also get to part of your question was like the cost of hard money. Obviously that costs money and hard money can be expensive. Well, what we look at is we make sure when we buy the property that those costs are accounted for when we buy it. Like we're not going out into debt. We're not taking out our pocket. We're trying to make sure that when we buy the property, that is accounted for. Now, the big key though, is we make sure that our numbers work in the long-term debt. So let's say we do buy a house. Like, well, let me give you one of sp- very specific. I had a student or have, he's still a student. Um, I have a student, he's a pastor up in Sacramento, California. And he doesn't have any money, but he bought a house like 10 years ago. He has a good amount of equity. I worked with him. We got him a home equity line of credit on his house, like $150,000, whatever it might be. We found a home, it's in Georgia, somewhere in Georgia. He found a house. It was, they were asking like $120,000. He bought it for, because we negotiate, remember we get it lower, for like $78,000. Captured almost, you know, 40000 over $40,000 in equity right then and there. Then fixed it up, got it rented out, and then refinanced it because it was then worth $150,000. We refinanced it, pulled the cash back out. That refinance now is a 30-year fixed on this extra house, the second house. Pulled that cash back out though and paid off his home equity line of credit on his own house and he can do it over and over again. So these are all creative ways. We just need to make sure that we're accounting for every single expense, every single step of the way. Got it. What is the difference between hard money and private money? Hard money. Well, I'll start with the private money. Super simple. You go to your uncle. Hey, uncle, I'm looking to invest. Would you want to lend me money and I'll give you a good return on your money? That's private money. A private person that's not like an institution, somebody that created a business around it. Friends, family members, coworkers, that's private money. Hard money, think of like a bank, but not necessarily FDIC assured, not necessarily a, a bank. It's an it's a, let's say one person or multiple people that create a business. And what they do is they loan their money out. Now, the biggest thing about hard money though, that everybody needs to remember, hard money is extremely short-term loans. So I've seen as little as three months, like you three months, you got to pay it back. And that's way too short for me as a real estate investor. Um, some are six months. 
I prefer at minimum one year. So you actually hard money costs you a lot of money to borrow that money, higher interest rate, but they want it back within a year so they can do it over and over again. That's what hard money, they make money lending that money out. And the more they could turn it over in one year, the more they make money. So that's the big difference between hard money. It's more of a person that makes a business as opposed to friends and family members that just want to, you know, get a better than a bank account return on their money. Got it. In, uh, you know, so you've been investing since 06. You don't sell uh, approximately. What's the scope of your portfolio? I mean, how many of these things do you own? Yeah, I own 30 plus properties now. I even have syndications where syndication where multifamily, um, I invest my passively. I have enough money coming in that I now invest passively as well. And so recently just got into a couple hotels, which is fun. I, was, I always loved the playing Monopoly growing up. So now I'm, I'm playing Monopoly, buying hotels now, which is a lot of fun. But the portfolio is predominantly uh, single family homes or residential four units and below. And the, at best, we are trying to cash flow every single property, $250 at the minimum. And here's the great thing. The reason why I was able to quit my job is because I just, I, it's simple math. I started thinking one property making me $250 a month, that's $3,000 a year in passive income. Well, 10 properties, that's $2,500 a month without working. $30,000 a year in passive income. 20 properties is $5,000 a month. Remember, that's the minimum. $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year in passive income. And just over time, like I've literally owned these properties, what, since 2006? Some of them since 2006. I haven't sold any of them. Um, What's that, 12, 15 years, whatever it might be, 17 years now. But anyways, um, I, those I still own. And they're making triple what I was originally making on initially, just over time, rents go up. So that's the thing that I saw in order to become successful and employed, I was able to scale my business because all I need to do, build that business and then buy the next piece of inventory and put it into my business. I see. Uh, you've just, uh, you know, you worked hard. You put one foot in front of the other. You are successfully unemployed. So the last question is, Dustin, if somebody wants to learn more, figure out how to do this, work with you and, um, you know, get involved with you, how do they, how do they contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I have a free course. I just love giving this out and seeing people change. Do you mind if I give it to everybody? No, that's what I, that's why I asked. Awesome. So I have a free course, show you how to do everything, literally nuts and bolts of everything, building the business, scaling the business, making sure you're making money every single month. If you text the word rental, R-E-N-T-A-L, rental to three. 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give this to you. You'll be able to get started. I have lots of people just invest just from this free course. You can even go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. All one word forward slash free course. I'll literally give it to you. You can even find me. I have my own podcast. It's actually a solo show. It's just me literally giving out this content. When I, when I quit my job, I had so much extra time and I had friends and family members asking me how to do this. And they say, Hey, how do you do it? And I realized I enjoyed teaching. It was a lot of fun. So then I created a podcast. It's just me giving out all this information. So the master passive income podcast, same thing on YouTube, master passive income to YouTube. One other thing I definitely got to share. So with now I have like literally thousands of students that now all of them, we're all friends online and Zoom and 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 they wanted a meetup. They wanted something that we could all come together. So what I did was I created a conference. It's a real estate wealth builders conference is what it's called. And I've called up 40 of my friends that are, have their own students, their own influencers, they have their own podcasts and everything. And I said, let's bring all of our audiences and get together and make investing better by coaching all of our audience together. So I created a three-day conference called the Real Estate Wealth Builders Conference, RubeCon for short, R-E-W-B-C-O-N.com. So I created that conference. It's a three-day conference of us. It's no sales pitch. It's not those, hey, run to the back. It's not that. 
It's all about giving and helping. So if you guys use the promo code podcast, if you go to rubecon.com and use the promo code podcast, I'll know you come from Roger and I'll give you 10% off your ticket. I just want to see people change their life. I'm probably going to have so much fun just hanging out with all these other great investors that you guys need to be a part of as well. But also, oh, one last thing quickly, and I appreciate you taking, let me take the time. Instagram. I actually reply to DMs on their Instagram. I actually like Instagram. So um, the Dustin Heiner, T-H-E, Dustin Heiner. And I'm not that arrogant. It's the only handle I can come up with, you know, the Dustin Heiner. But you can find me on there and reach out to me. Love to love to help you out and start investing. Dustin, thank you a trillion. And I very, very much appreciated the conversation. And um, hey, man, uh, I love the fact you're leaving your homes to your kids. That's, that's great. Thanks, Roger. We'll talk to you soon. 